You know, I know that de December's come around in past years, and it just seems like we, we're just kind of like barely, our feet are barely hitting the ground. We're just coming out of the year, going into the end of the year, and it's like, man, we're just hustling. But one thing I want us to do, beginning, and maybe you already have, but if we haven't, Let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our heart for what God, what this season means. I don't want to get to the end of the year and go, oh, yeah, I, I, I sent a Christmas card and it said, you know, Merry Christmas, Jesus is born. I'm not knocking any of that. I'm just saying, but I don't want it to be an afterthought. I don't want it to be, I don't want the birth of Jesus and our, our mindfulness of what it means, that gift that God gave to us, I don't want that to be overshadowed by anything. And there are so many things that we'll try to overshadow. So for the next few weeks, next three weeks actually, uh, we're going to be uh, looking into the story of the Magi or the, the wise men, the three wise men. Um, and we're going to be looking at the gifts, the gifts that they brought to Jesus. And those gifts came to him around the time of his birth. They, the, you know, I know we, well, let me just move forward. I don't want to get off my, my uh, track here, but... Uh, let me give you a little bit of context. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, you know, where it talks about how that Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And uh, there were these magi or wise men that traveled a great distance, a long way from the east, it says, to worship Jesus. And let me ask you, how many wise men were there? We don't know. I mean, basically, tradition has given them names. I think it was uh, 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 Melchor, Gaspar, and Baltazar. You didn't? Yes, Baltazar. And so that's the names that tradition has given those guys. And, and, but the thing is, is there could have been four, there could have been six, there could have been a whole company, there could have been dozens. We don't really know. But what we do know about them is that they brought gifts. They came a long way, and they were desperate to find this, this king that was being born. And I read some material, uh, different, you know, background on these guys, because there's not a lot in the Bible, and so a lot of it is historical information that, and they say that, well, some of the people say that they were probably from around Babylonia, uh, because a lot of the Jews were there at that, you know, had been there at that time, and so they heard the, the, the prophecies and the stories and everything that was going on. Uh, and when they saw that star, uh, somehow they maybe were looking for it, or they were, it piqued their attention, and they remembered the, who knows? All I know is that God captivated their hearts, and they began a long journey to see where that star would lead them, because they believed that where that star stopped, where that star would, would lead them, would be to the king of the Jews, to the savior of the world. And so, uh, you know, the thing is, is we want to just kind of start in Matthew and read a couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. It says, and when they saw the star, talking about the magi or the, the wise men, it says that they were filled with joy. And they entered the house. Now, they had followed this, the star all the way from the far east. And they had actually even come through and talked to Herod, who really wanted to know, where's this baby born and what do you know? And, and of course, they... We're not interested in helping Herod, but they had to play the game. And so eventually they, they left and said, yeah, we'll let you know when we find him. And, but it says that when they saw the star where it was, it says that they were filled with joy and they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother. 
And Mary, uh, and, uh, Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They saw Mary's mother and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures, chests, and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know, Dana and I had two, two babies, two little girls, and of course they're not little girls anymore. And even more recently, we've, we've had, you know, two grandbabies born into our house and lots of babies. And I haven't been to a lot of showers, but I have shown up after they're over with usually and packed up whatever. And I've never one time, you know what, we, you, know, you, you get, you know, uh, diapers and wipes and some baby bottles and every now and then, maybe a stroller or whatever. There's baby clothes and blankets, but never one time. Have I ever loaded up frankincense, gold, or myrrh? It's never happened. It's like, uh, we need to up our game, I think. I don't really know for sure. But it was very, very significant. What they brought was very significant. The gifts were not only valuable, they were incredibly practical, which we'll talk about these in the weeks to come. But at the same time, they were very, very deeply spiritual. These gifts, these gifts had meaning. They weren't just, uh, you know, well, we're rich guys. And they were rich. They were rich uh, men. And they brought these amazing gifts, but it wasn't just because they had a lot to give. It was because they had something that they were bringing that represented. Now, maybe they didn't even understand it all, but the thing is, is God added so much uh, meaning to their gifts, or didn't add it, they just brought so much meaning out of their gifts. And so Bible scholars agree that the gifts were useful for the family, but they were a foreshadow of what Jesus represented. And that's what we'll do uh, today. So basically, gold was valuable in itself, and it represented kingship. What do you give to a king? Gold. Gold. Kings like gold. <laughs> King, if you want, you know, to recognize a, a, a king, you, you're going to see gold pins and all, whatever, gold. And then, of course, myrrh, uh, which we'll look at next week, uh, myrrh represents uh, the suffering servant or the Lamb of God. We'll talk about that next week. And today, we're going to talk about frankincense, frankincense. Uh, to be honest with you, I've read this story, seen that word, heard people talk about frankincense in songs or whatever, but I really didn't know much about it, so I decided I needed to find out a little bit, and so uh, a little about frankincense, it comes from the tree, if you ever go looking for a Boswellia tree, you'll probably have to go to Africa or somewhere in the Middle East, it's a very, very rare tree, very valuable tree, the resin that comes from that is what they use to make frankincense, and it's very rare, and it's very valuable, and so they say that, that frankincense is like, uh, I read a couple of things, it's like the Swiss army of oils. You know, you, you use oil for this, oil for that, you put oil on your face, you put oil on whatever, babies and whatever. But frankincense would, would be like, it, actually that one article I read said it's the king of oils. The king of oils. Uh, the, they've done studies and basically, I'm just reading what I read because I don't know this. I'm just reading to you what I found out. Uh, clinical studies show the effectiveness of frankincense resin uh, in some disease conditions like asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, or uh, osteoarthritis, and relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. Uh, it has an antiseptic, astringent, digestive, and sedative uh, effect 
and it's also uh, used for therapy, a wound therapy. Uh, so, so frankincense was very practical in that respect, in that sense. And so, but from a spiritual perspective, frankincense uh, is what the priests used. And you know, it's like, if you didn't grow up in the church, which I didn't, didn't grow up in a church where there's, well, I'm familiar with priests in the city, in the sense of what priests do. Uh, I've read a lot, obviously. I know what the Bible, uh, you know, I'm familiar with what the Bible teaches. But uh, the, the duties of a priest was that they would burn frankincense with the offerings that were brought to them because it gave off a smoke and it gave off a fragrance that was very pleasant. And it represented the prayers uh, of, the, of the saints. Because priests represented the people. They didn't just represent themselves. They represented others. Now, think back what we're talking about. We're talking about the, 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 the gifts that were brought to the baby Jesus. And he wasn't, it, this, they say that this was about two years after he was born. And uh, the reason, reasoning behind that is because when the, when the wise men came to Jesus, uh, or when they came to, to Herod, I mean, when they came to Herod, uh, and Herod makes a deal with them, let me know so I can go worship too. It says that after they left, they went out another way, didn't go back to see Herod, and Herod became very angry. And it says he ordered that every boy two years and younger would be uh, put to death. And so obviously Jesus very well could have been two years old by that time, uh, by that time frame. But, you know, we see Jesus at the manger, and I mean, not Jesus, we see the wise men at the manger, and I don't have a problem with that. The truth is they probably came uh, a year or two after that, uh, that event took place. So frankincense was very expensive, it was a practical gift, and it helped with sickness and treating wounds. Treating wounds. So, um, and if you're not familiar with, with priests, then, you know, maybe kind of stay with me and we'll talk a little bit about this because Jesus is our high priest. And so when they were bringing frankincense to Jesus, the baby, the, it says he was a child at that time. It says when they, when they saw the child and his mother, he wasn't a baby at that time. He was a child. I mean, I think there's a, a little bit of a, of a clue there too. He was growing up a bit. He was a little older. It says that they worshiped him. And so uh, as they come, they are, whether they're actually seeing it or understanding it or not, Jesus represented uh, in God's eyes, in God's mind. Mary didn't know. Mary had no clue. But God knew. It was God's plan. It was God's intention uh, to bring about uh, this high priest for the people. And can you imagine this little, this little boy? This little boy called, this little boy born into the earth, virgin birth. Uh, and God begins to recognize or identify and put things into his life that we can look back now and go, oh, that's what that meant. That's what that meant. So there were two roles of or, or functions of a priest. And let me just get through this fairly quick. Uh, a priest made sacrifices for the, for the forgiveness of sins. That's what they did. See, today... We just turn to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Because we can go right into the presence of God. But in this day, in this time, they had one day a year. They called it the Day of Atonement. And they would, they would come and they would, uh, you know, 
offer a sacrifice. They would offer sacrifice for their sins, but they didn't do it. They would bring it to the priest. So the priest, the high priest in this day, actually offered sacrifices for the people. And then priests also prayed prayers on behalf of the people. That's what he did. He, he prayed for them. He prayed on behalf of them. That's what a high priest would do. And so let's talk about a couple of these things just for just a minute or so, just a, a couple of minutes. So there's, they did sacrifices and prayers. And ever since the Garden of Eden, there have been two opposing forces. And the opposing forces have been the holiness of God See, this morning when you were singing, Jordan, you guys were singing, holy, this is holy ground. My mind is there. My my, my heart is there. What makes it holy? Because God is there. There was the holiness of God, and then there was the sinfulness of man. Because whenever the, the sin took place in the garden, what happened? There was a division. There was a separation. There was a brokenness. Something broke in that place. And so that's, that's basically the reason for the high priest because people couldn't breach that gap. They couldn't come across that gap as it were. But God appointed Aaron and his sons and then on down and down and down different high priests to stand before him and to rep- represent them before God and uh, represent them on behalf of what? On, on behalf of their sin, forgiving their sin, asking for forgiveness, Offering sacrifices. Now today, the word sin is so uncool. It's an uncool word, isn't it? Sin. Oh, come on, man. That's so old-fashioned. That's so uncool. It's like, you know, things have changed. This is the 21st century. Let's don't call it sin. Let's call it a mistake. Let's call it an accident. Let's call it just, you know, just, hey, we just didn't see eye to eye. But the Bible calls disobedience to God in his word, sin. And so that's what happened in the garden. And ever since that point, every person that's been born into this world was born with a, a bent, a nature, that they would give themselves, we would have given ourselves to sin because it's the nature that we're born with. It's what we've been born with. And here's the thing. When the priests would come, um, they would offer sacrifices and the people would stand outside to wait to see if it was accepted. They would wait to, you know, whatever they would do. But they, were, they had no face-to-face with God. The thing is, is if we don't understand the holiness of God, and see, holiness is an old-fashioned word, right? Like sin is an old-fashioned Holiness is an old-fashioned word. Oh, it's old-fashioned, you know? It's like, I know, you know, it's like, you know, hairdos and whatever. No. Holiness is, is the presence of God. It's where God is. And wherever God is, wherever God shows up, he brings everything that he is, and his holiness is there. When, when, the, when Jesus was lying in the manger, when he was born and he was growing up, you know what he was? He was holy. And for us, we think, maybe we can't even get our mind around that. What does that mean? I mean, I look at my grandkids on a good day, I love them always, but I look at them on on good days, and I think they are perfect, (laughs) especially when they're sleeping. No, I'm kidding. I I look at them, and it's just like my heart wells up. I'm thinking that's what God was doing when he was looking at his son, but he was looking at 
a part of himself. He was looking at himself in a sense. He was looking at his son, which was God. It was him. It was God. It was God the Father, God the Son. And he's, he's there, and, and he's holy. And so there's this, this two opposing things, and it's the, the holiness of God, which we might go, oh, one of these days, maybe we'll figure it out. Today, we need to think through this, and the sinfulness of man. And I understand that our, we are forgiven, our sins forgiven, because, uh, you know, we ask the Lord to forgive us, he come into our life, and we confess our sins. I know that, but if we don't understand the holiness of God, we always take like a casual approach to sin. Oh, you know, God knows. And, oh, it's, well, you know, not a big deal. Uh, uh, we need to have a, an understanding. And I'm not talking about living in terror. I'm talking about living with a grateful heart. As we can understand the gift that God sent to us. And if we don't understand what what it means that God is holy, we're never gonna really understand the cost or the tragedy that took place with, for Jesus and in Jesus at the cross. We'll never understand that either. And so the word holy means separated or set apart. Uh, sin separates us from God. So the word holy means separated. It means set apart. So the thing is, is everything God touches is, is uncommon. It's, it's uncommon. It's, but you know what? When sin touched our lives, we became separated. And we can use whatever word we want. We'll use an old-fashioned word and call it sinful because that's what happens. Sin has separated us. Now, those of us that have been born again for a long time, see, I, I talk to people, and, and they say, I don't want to talk about sin. I don't, want to, I don't even want to think about sin. And my thing is, is I'm not like entertaining it like, wow, I love it. I'm just saying, I'm contrasting the holiness of God. And where would I be without what God did for me against that, where I would be? I'm contrasting these two things. God gave us a gift in Christ that really deserves and is worthy of some serious contemplation. And so our God is perfectly separate in every way. You will never see God. You'll never bring God into a, a place. You know, when the Bible says that God can't look upon sin, it's because he's separate. He's separate. He, and and when, when we say you know, that, that God hates sin, and I know that's a hard word, a strong word. God hates sin. He does. But he loves people. And the reason he hates sin is because sin separates us from him, from his healing, from his wholeness, from his grace, from his, because his mercy is holy. His grace is holy. His healing power is holy. His saving power is holy. But sin separates us from all that. I, I remember a year or so ago, um, hearing, I don't remember who it was, maybe Jack or somebody, said that, you know, what, what happens is we, uh, when, when we fall short, when we sin, the natural reaction or the response, the natural, in the natural, is to run and hide. It's what Adam did. It's what Eve did, run and hide. But when, when we're born again, when the Holy Spirit is inside of us, our natural reaction should be to run to God. But sin wants us to go hide. 
And the thing is, is the longer we hide, the longer we keep ourselves in that separated state, the easier it is, the more comfortable we become. And God doesn't want us to be there in that place. So holiness is not just the perfection of one of God's attributes. It's not just one thing. Oh, God's perfect. Oh, his holiness is perfect in this way. This is what God is. God is holy. And everything that God does and everything that God touches and everything that God plans and goes after, if it welcomes him, he makes holy. When God touches your life, I want you to know something changes inside of you, something breaks. But sin is what keeps us separated. So his power is holy, his grace is holy, his mercy is holy, his word is holy, his peace is holy. Our challenge is that there's a holy God and we're not. Apart from him, we're not. And you might be wondering, why are you telling us this? We're saved. Sin finds a place in my life on a regular basis. I apologize to you for that if that offends you. But sin can find a place in my life, maybe with an attitude, maybe with an action, maybe with a decision, a bad decision, maybe with an outburst. I don't know. And so the problem or the challenge is that when I give myself, when I yield myself, when I go into that place, what happens? I find there's a distance. And I'm not saying God moved. In a sense, I was moved from him. That's why God hates sin. Everybody say, God hates sin. Man, he loves you. He loves me. But he hates sin. Why? You know what I hate? I hate the flu. And I hate COVID. And I hate pneumonia. And I, you know why? Because when it hits one of my kids... It makes me angry because I can't get close to them and I can't hold them. It separates me from them. I hate sickness and disease. But that's the way God feels about all sin because it separates us from him. So we've fallen short of God's standard. Uh, sin breaks our intimacy and access with this holy God. All I'm asking us to do today is to take a minute and prepare our hearts for this season rather than just thinking it's the most wonderful time. It is. <laughs> but thinking about why is it the most wonderful time? It's because God gave us an amazing gift and you know what he wants to do? He wants to draw us near. That's what near. One day a year, these priests would go in to the temple or into the Holy of Holies. It was called the Day of Atonement, and they would make sacrifices for the people. Uh, they would bring an innocent, pure, just perfect animal, whatever animal they brought, a, a lamb, a sheep, whatever, and they would offer it to the priest, and he would look it over. He would check to make sure it wasn't blind. He would make sure it wasn't lame. He would make sure it wasn't sick. He would, do he would make sure it was, it was perfect because that's what God wanted. He wanted a perfect sacrifice that cost them something. And then they would take that in 
and he would make that sacrifice. He would burn frankincense with that sacrifice like it was you know, smoke going up into heaven representing you know, the, the, the prayers to God. And so that was one of the things that the priest did. Another thing that the priest did in a, in a similar, similar situation uh, was he, you ever heard of a scapegoat? A scapegoat. I've been a scapegoat a time or two. <laughs> and probably you have too. When someone allowed you to take the blame for something that they did, you know. But a scapegoat, you can take time to read this yourself in Leviticus. I don't, I'm not going to take time to read it, but Leviticus uh, 16, uh, beginning in verse 6. You, know, you can read on down through there. They would take a live goat, a real a live goat, yeah. They would take a goat, and Aaron, the priest, would lay his hands on this goat and confess the sins of the people. And after he confessed the sins of the people, the, the goat was let go into the wilderness um, and it was symbolically taking away the sins of the people. Now the question is, did it really take away their sins? Yes, it did. Because that's what God told them to do. That was the way God told them to do it. Did, did taking a bull or a, a, a lamb or whatever and sacrificing it for the sins of the people, did it really take away people's sins? Yes, because that's what God told them to do. The problem is that, and you can read this in Hebrews. I didn't write the verse down. The problem is, is that it can take away, it took away their sin, but it did not take away their sin consciousness. They still had in their mind, next year's coming. Man, it can't get here too fast enough for me because they lived with the weight of their guilt and their sin. This was the gift that God brought to us. And people live, so they might have started off. They might have started off the year with a nice, clean shirt, beautiful shirt. Just, you know, maybe, uh, you know, nothing wrong with it. But by the end of the year, this is what they looked like. This is what they looked like. Because they had to wait a whole year. A whole year. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. God gave us a gift. And this frankincense represents what the priests would do, saying that he will be our high priest. A high priest that is accessible to us. We can come anytime, anytime, any day or night, any hour, anytime we need, as much as we need, we can come to him and he will forgive our sin. That's what the gift that God gave to us is Jesus. But the gifts that the wise men gave represented some things. You can just keep on listening. I'm just going to give you. It took me a while to make this. I'm going to give it to you, George, after service. <laughs> my point, my point is that God gave us an amazing gift. And the things that the, that, the, that the wise men came and brought represented what Jesus would do, who he was. Jesus is our high priest. He's our high priest. You know what you do with a high priest? You don't have to wait for the day of atonement. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible tells us. Today. It's not down the road. 
It's not in another six months or a year. We don't have to carry this thing that we're carrying. We can just unload it, offload it today because our high priest is sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for us. His ear is inclined to us. This morning, I'm asking us, not just today, but for this month, to consider this gift that God gave to us. He's our high priest. He's our high priest. He's your high priest. He's a personal God, meaning he cares about what's going on in your personal life. Let me give a couple of quick verses here. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. We are display, we, when we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Well, this part's pretty clean. Turn around. I'd rather not. Our righteousness, our deeds, we stand before God either covered with the, the love and the, the blood of Christ, cleansed by his blood, actually say it that way, or we stand before God looking something like this. Because our righteousness, God, I'm gonna try to do better. Don't, don't, don't waste your time trying to do better in order to be right with God. God's given us a gift, a high priest that has made the ultimate sacrifice. When he went to the cross, he was not only our high priest, but he was also the sacrificial lamb, the perfect without sin, without fault, sacrificial lamb. And when he laid down his life and was nailed to that cross and died and was raised again, he did that not because of his need, but because of ours, ours. Ephesians chapter one Verse five through seven, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do when he gave, when it gave and it gave him great pleasure. When we praise God for his glorious grace, he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. I want you to know God has a plan for every person's life, every one of our lives. And I know every person in this room has had a moment or a season or an event that has caused them to think I have blown it worse than I could ever blow it. Maybe it's a, I don't know. And I don't even need to know. Here's what I know. There's not a sin he won't forgive. There's not a person he won't reach out and draw to himself if they cry out. There's nothing that God will allow to stand between you and I if we're willing to confess and forgive and ask him to forgive it and let him change our heart. That's what, that's what really who Jesus is. That was the gift. I, I look, I guess I look at I look at my grandson and I wonder, my grandchildren, and I wonder, what are they going to be when they grow up? What are they going to be? And my mind's going, and God's looking at his son thinking, I know what he is. He's the savior of the world. He's the one that's going to offer every single person 
that's born from that point, from the day he went to the cross to today and on. Every person, he's offering every single person the opportunity to have eternal life, to have their sin forgiven, not to live one more day under the weight of guilt and condemnation because God's love is holy and it will set us apart. It does set us apart. Thank you, Lord.